Our New Testament reading this morning comes from Luke 11, 5 through 13. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed, I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened unto you. For anyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Your, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Join me in prayer. Father God, we come to you today with hearts of thanks. We thank you for the kindnesses you show us daily. We thank you for friends and family. We thank you for rain. On this Memorial weekend, we lift up those we can't forget, those who've given their lives in the name of this country. We thank you for Ryan, Lord, and pray that we might hear your word through him today. And we thank you that through all these things, the door is open to us. In the name of your Son and of the Holy Spirit, we thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. So, uh, the story goes this way. It is Pentecost Sunday, and so we're celebrating that today. Where does the word Pentecost come from? What does that mean? So, Pentecost, the word pente just means five. And so 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, that's when uh, the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus, by the Father, uh, to inhabit uh, the earth as we know it, uh, to, to birth the church, which is the new Israel. It's the new people of God. You know, we don't have just the 12 tribes of Israel and God's chosen people that way. But now it's every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethnic group, anyone that believes in the name of Jesus, no matter what language they speak or where they're from, uh, they can be get in on this life, which is birthed by the Holy Spirit. And so we remember the story in Acts. Uh, it's told in the book of Acts of how the Spirit came on the group of believers that were together praying uh, after, of course, the ascension of Jesus, we just heard a song about the king, and in his, uh, from his throne, this is what Jesus does with his authority, is he sends the Spirit and sends gifts for the church to be able to operate, that there might be, even though there's no physical body of Jesus on the earth, that there would be a body of Christ, that there would be a group of people with, with bodies and flesh like ours, uh, with names and people that live in counties and real places, that we would be the very body of Jesus to the world. That's the whole dream of the church. And so here we are. Uh, in the power of the Spirit, uh, the church is born, and we, we continue on. We're, 
we are uh, descendants, we are ancestors of that first group that was there at Pentecost, the apostles and Mary and the whole crowd. And so we can read about that in the book of Acts, uh, which really just chronicles the gift of the Spirit, uh, the discovery of the life and the power of the Spirit, and what that was going to look like in the church. And it's a pretty wild ride, and, and it can still be very wild at times, which is good. So what does the good news of Pentecost mean for us today? Why uh, does your pastor wear this goofy outfit, and why do we get all, all excited about Pentecost Sunday? Uh, does the Holy Spirit still move and work and bring life to the world? Uh, today. So in order to kind of illustrate this, I brought one of my most shameful possessions with me. And uh, this is a a Goodwill Samsonite briefcase. And you can see, well, you, you may not be able to see. Well, yeah, you can probably see there's a bunch of stuff in here. So I've got, I've got binder clips and legal pads and sort of whiteboard drawings, all sorts of things. In addition to a couple of books on organization. So this, 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 is my, this is my someday I'll get organized briefcase. Does anyone have a pile like that or a, a, a seat in your pickup like that or a, a corner of your office? So I carry that around with me usually around the first of the year. And I'm very ambitious and I get some things in order and I change my system and I'm really get it working good. It's like you tune up the old car and it's really running good for a little while. And then, you know, life catches up with you and it is, then it's just running just like a dog again. So that's, that's kind of how my productivity works. And um, I've been at this for a while now. And so um, my dear spouse is used to an occasional text uh, where I will send her a picture and it is an aerial photograph from inside my office and it will be my desk. But you can't actually see the desk. You can just see the piles of things where under which the desk hides. And, and usually it'll be a picture of that and, I'll, and it's, I'm at my breaking point and I'll say, help, can you please help? I need someone else to come in and show me how to fix this mess. And so um, she's very gracious to do that. She'll come in and spend about an hour and she'll just get everything kind of organized, ask me all the right questions, and then I'll have to make certain decisions and get stuff going. And then we find the summary of the story, the Cliff Notes version of all of this organizational effort at some point always comes down to Honey, it really doesn't matter what your system is as long as you work the system, right? No, every system requires you to work it. Okay, there's no system that's magic that's just going to you wiggle your nose and it just happens. So you got to work the system. So I've tried all the different methods and all the stuff. And you may be Franklin Covey people or David Allen people or whatever it is. But no matter what system you pick, you have to work the system. Uh, my dad's here in attendance today and I grew up watching him. His system was a legal pad on the console of his pickup. And it, it wouldn't make sense to anyone else in the world, but to him, it, it works. It's a system. And so it's hieroglyphics to the average person, but it's his system and it works for him. So the main thing, the point is if you work the system, any system will work. And so uh, today on Pentecost Sunday, um, you know, we, it's good for us to know the basic answers of the whole, about the Holy Spirit. I see some of you in the congregation today that have been through my confirmation class, and we spend time talking about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? How do we, you know, the whole thing? How do we pray to the Holy Spirit? Why is that important? We go through it, and we get all the answers, and the kids are great. They're always super sharp. They're on top of it, and we get through it. We know the answers to the questions about the Holy Spirit, and that's very important. We should do that. However, to really live the Christian life that Jesus laid out for us, 
Knowing the answers is simply not enough. It's just not enough. We have to respond to, we have to act upon the gift of the Holy Spirit who is among us. We have to respond, right? It doesn't matter what the system is, how well we know it. If we don't work it, if we don't execute it, then things will stay just the way they've always been. Status quo will be there. It's the same way in the life of the Spirit. If we don't interact with the Spirit, respond to the Spirit, learn to get, as Paul said, in step with the Spirit, then it won't matter how much we know about the Spirit, we will miss out on the life of the Spirit and the life that God intends for us. So we have to practice. Um, it's like understanding the mechanics of how to run a relay race. You know, a couple of us that have never run relay races could probably sit around and describe the mechanics to someone who actually could run. But short of us putting our feet on the track, we can't say, yeah, I know how I run a relay race. I know how to do it. I've heard people talk about it. I watched the Olympics on television, but I've never actually trained to receive the baton, pass the baton, run the right speed at the right time. I've never done that. So I can't really say I'm, I'm not a sprinter in a relay race. Uh, the spirit is the same way. We can know all the answers, but until we step onto the track and get to work, uh, we miss out on the life. So we know about the Holy Spirit. I think the invitation before us on Pentecost Sunday, every Pentecost Sunday, and really every day uh, in some form or fashion is, uh, do we want, though, do we desire the Holy Spirit? Do we desire to know God uh, in an intimate way, in a, in a personal way that really fills us with life, that means the difference for other people? So if we have a hunger and a thirst for the very life of Jesus, if we grieve the pervasive loneliness in our culture and the shallow interactions that pass for friendship, if we find ourselves wondering, isn't there more to life than this? then the Word of God invites us this morning to respond to the reality, to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in order to guide me in this thought process this week, and I'm going to share the process with you, uh, I've already told you I'm not very good at being organized, so it's good to have help. Uh, and, and I don't always preach sermons this way, but I have three important ways to respond if we want to get in on the life of the Spirit. And I'm borrowing these three emphases, uh, which come from Scripture, uh, from uh, a guy named Raniero Cantalamesa. And Cantala Mesa is a, he's the preacher to the papal household. And he's been the preacher to the Pope since 1980. There's only one person that can preach to the Pope, and that's the papal preacher. And so uh, Father Cantala Mesa is a, a world-renowned preacher, obviously. He speaks seven languages. He grew up in Italy, and he's just a wonderful soul. Uh, Amberly, I had a chance to hear him preach in Kentucky one time, and just a, a beautiful presence about him. He's 88 years old now but he's still getting up, going to work, doing all the stuff, just a wonderful insight. And he's been a huge proponent in the Catholic Church uh, with the charismatic renewal movement. So he spends a lot of time studying and researching and encouraging churches to welcome the life of the Holy Spirit. You know, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit is active and, and moving in our midst and in our churches? And we need the Holy Spirit uh, to do the work that only God can do uh, because we run into our limitations all the time. So Contala Mesa has this great little work on the mystery of Pentecost. It's a very short book. It's very powerful. And here's the three things that he points out from uh, the scriptures that are important if we really want to get in on the life of the Holy Spirit. So here at the beginning of Pentecost, how do we get in on this life? And the first one uh, seems very obvious, but it might be the one that's the most neglected. And that is simply to ask. We must ask 
for the Holy Spirit. And so the great prayer, as we talked about earlier, come Holy Spirit, uh, really serves us well during this time. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, we hear that all of the apostles and Mary and everybody are gathered together. They're devoting themselves to prayer and they're waiting, as Jesus told them to, on the Spirit. So they're together, they're devoting themselves to prayer and they get in on the life of the Spirit. The importance of simple prayers uh, just can't be emphasized enough. Uh, we, we, I, make prayer so complicated sometimes and prayer is so simple. Uh, it's not easy, but it's very simple. Simple prayers. I just wonder what it would be like if we paused in the morning uh, before the screens come on. If we pause at lunch when we're driving to our next meeting, if we paused in the evening before we go to bed and we just simply uh, breathed deeply and closed our eyes and said, come Holy Spirit, you know, fill me with your very life today. Uh, what difference that might make in our lives and in the life of our community. Uh, and I realized this week that I just make things too darn complicated sometimes. And so that's been a word for me this week. But uh, the text that John read for us in Luke 11 is a great reminder of, of why we ask and how and what a great promise we have when we do ask for the Spirit that God is so willing to give the Spirit. You know, if you're, he says, you fathers, if your son asks for uh, bread, you know, are you going to give him a snake? Have he asked for something to eat? Are you going to give him a scorpion? Of course not. You would never do that. So if you guys who are, uh, have the sinful nature within you and, and then you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more must God, you know, when we ask for the Holy Spirit, how much more willing do you think God is to give us the Spirit? So it really lets us in on God's willingness to give us what we're asking for, specifically, in this case, the Spirit, the very Holy Spirit. And so it's, it's important for us to be uh, even impertinent at times. Uh, and he says, you know, it's not because the guy just said, oh, it's my best friend. I'm going to get up. He's going, I I'm tired of the guy knocking on my door in the parable. You know, I've, I'm here. I finally got my kids to sleep. Some of y'all with young kids or you, we all remember these days. You finally get your kids to sleep and then somebody rings the doorbell and you're like, I will murder that person at the door, whoever that is. Just got everybody to bed. And it, it, we you don't get up. We get up because of the persistence. And he's like, you know, and, and that's what we have to do to get things done in the world. But God's not that way. You know, he doesn't he doesn't treat us that way. So we simply ask and God is more than willing to give uh, from the abundance of his own heart. The second thing is to obey. Uh, the second insight from the scriptures. The first one is we must ask for the spirit. Uh, the second one is obedience. And uh, in Acts chapter five, we remember Peter and the apostles are before the council and they're on trial. They're they're They got out of prison for a minute and they're on trial for speaking in the name of Jesus when they were instructed not to in this particular area. And Peter has this famous line where he said, you know, we just come to the realization that we have to obey God rather than people. That's sort of where we're living our life at this point. And that's, that's where we're going to, uh, you know, put our line in the sand. But Peter says, we are witnesses to the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, very God himself. And we, and, and the, there's another witness, by the way, and this is a great line. There's another witness besides us, and that is the Holy Spirit. Peter just brings the Holy Spirit into the courtroom, which is hilarious. Uh, the, the Spirit is also witness to these things. And he said, it's the Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So it's a little instructional uh, thought for us there that God has promised to send the Spirit to those who obey him. So we, we are invited in, in this text to adhere to the will of God, right? To allow our lives to be molded around the will of God rather than trying to mold the will of God to our will, 
uh, which always goes badly for us. It's a long process that we're all still learning. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, uh, you know, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. It's a constant work in our hearts because we are born wanting our will and our way and to do things in the way that we think is best. So, um, adherence to the will of God, our, our part of the mutuality, you know, interacting with the Spirit, being a people of the Spirit, being part of the church is not something where God just does everything and we just sit around and say, yay, God. We, we go to work. You know, we interact with God. We put our lives on the line. We offer our bodies, as Paul says, as a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing to God. We give all of ourselves, uh, and God is meeting us. So we're interacting with the Spirit. We're stepping towards God just as He has stepped towards us and always taking that first step, but has invited us into the dance. So we, we get, out, get out on the floor and put our feet uh, to the music as the Spirit leads. And so that's the whole deal about mutuality. It's the great old uh, song, you know, trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than trust and obey. Very well said. Uh, Cantala Mesa says in this part of his book, the Holy Spirit cannot act in someone who is still attached to his own will. Isn't that great? The Holy Spirit cannot act in someone who is still attached to his own will. Um, that really hits home for me. So this whole obedience piece is an, another way of saying that is that we will reap what we sow in the economy of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we usually think of you reap what you sow as a negative thing. Like, man, if you sow seeds of discord, it's going to come back on you. And, and that's the whole biblical thing about judgment. You know, what you sow, you're surely going to reap. But also the great law of the seed comes to us in the New Testament and other places where it has a positive spin. And that is if you sow good things and you sow, uh, in this case, if you ask for the Holy Spirit and you interact and you obey the Spirit of God, this is going to pay dividends. The crops and the yields will be good for years to come and years to come. And in many, many lives, we put in the time we put in the heart work of sowing seeds and interacting with the very Holy Spirit of God and learning about God's love in that way, connecting with the Spirit, we will reap uh, the benefits of God's goodness. We will reap the love of God. We will know the love of God in ways uh, that we could not know if we were not engaged in that process, if we weren't taking that step towards God as well. Uh, so that's, that's a good reminder that we, we have a part to play in this mix of if we want to uh, know the Spirit of God. And lastly, uh, he points out that uh, we have to be acquainted with and transformed by the love of God if we want to interact with the very life of God. So uh, John tells us that God is love, right? And so to receive the life of God, it makes sense that we must enter into the love of God itself. Uh, and this is a miracle. You know, anytime we get in on the life of God, the, the love that has interacted uh, between the Father, Son, and the Spirit from before the beginning of time, when we enter into that divine economy, when we enter into that divine dance, uh, it's life-changing and it's, and it's a miracle. But it's always open to us. It's always available to us. Paul celebrates this in Romans 5 when he says that the love of God has been shed abroad into our hearts or it's been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us as a gift. And so when we interact in this way, we're acting on the basis uh, and for the, the sake of that, that very love of God. And so if God works this way, it makes sense that our work in the world 
if we desire to, as Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit, uh, that we must grow in love in order to receive the Spirit and experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our ministry, uh, individually and in the church. So whatever your vocation is in life, whatever you do Monday through Saturday, uh, you're calling and you're doing ministry there, and then we're doing ministry collectively as a church, uh, not just on Sundays, but other times. Uh, we, when we enter into the love of God, and we experience the love of God, and we are, our lives are transformed by the love of God, it, it makes us a great living room, a great place of hospitality for the Holy Spirit uh, to continue to pour His life into us. A great story to remember this, uh, this dynamic, and how so many of us, uh, I always need this conversion experience throughout life uh, when, when I'm learning to, when wanting to receive the life of God and saying, God, why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? Or why don't we experience the Spirit the way that we think we ought to? And, and you know, we read about and we wonder about this. Uh, the Jonah story is a great reminder uh, of, of how this sometimes works. You know, you remember the Jonah story. You remember the, the three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. But you remember that Jonah was called by God to go preach the good news to a a wild and rowdy town called Nineveh, which, which was just the epicenter of all wickedness. And it was a big city and nobody wanted to go there. And, and you know, we have those cities in our world today. We even sit around and do the same thing and be like, man, I'm just so glad I live in Texas. <laughs> I live in the country. I might want to visit there, but I don't want to live there. All kinds of crazy things happen there. And Nineveh was that exponentially. And Jonah didn't want to go. And he knew God told him to go. And he just said, I'll go anywhere but there. And so he went and caught a ship to Tarsich, which, which was no way on the way to anywhere. It was just out of the way of Nineveh. It was in the opposite direction. And so Jonah just says, get me out of here. You know, and the mariners are like, why do you want to go with us? And he's like, you know, I don't know. I'm having a adult moment. I'm, I'm, I'm going through this conversion experience. I don't know. I'm really questioning God right now. I, I, God's called me to do something. I don't want to do it. Can I hang out with you guys? You know, is this like a VW van and I can leave and just, you know, forget it all for a little while? That's what the ship was like for him. He's just trying to get away. And so he does, but God continues to call and the whole fish thing happens. Jonah prays to be delivered. He begins to walk back to God. He begins to take these steps he goes ahead and preaches what God told him to originally to the people. And miraculously, the people were ready. I mean, they were waiting on God's word of love and, and they respond and they repent and everybody changes. And uh, it's a beautiful story. Only even when all that happens, Jonah's response is to pout. You know, he goes, oh, good grief, God. I knew you were going to do this. That's why I didn't want to go in the first place. Like, I just wanted those people to burn. And I did not want them to know that there was a God that loves them. And I knew you were going to do that, God. And so that's why I didn't want to go. And you have the whole drama there and Jonah pouts and he's outside the city and, you know, it, and he's hot and he's in the desert. And so God causes a plant to grow up miraculously to shade Jonah. It's wonderful and he's happy. And then God causes the next day the plant to go away. Jonah's pouting again. And God says, Jonah, are you pretty upset about that plant? Are you pretty ticked that I took the plant away? And Jonah says, yes, Lord, I'm very angry about that plant. And God says, okay, well, let's, let's put this into perspective. He's like, you didn't cause the plant to grow. And yet you're grieving that it's gone. And it's just a plant. And you didn't have anything to do with it. He's like, God says, imagine what it's like for me. 120,000 of my people that I created, they don't know their right hand from their left hand. They don't know which way's up or which way's down. And they're perishing. And I had to save them. And I needed somebody to go. And you can just tell the, the contrast in God's heart and Jonah's heart. And that's the whole gap. You know, that's ministry. 
That's the work that we do in the world. And, and it's very hard for us. Jonah's the hardest person to convert in the story. That's the point. And so sometimes it's us that we're the tough ones uh, to, to convert. We know the answers, but sometimes we just don't want to go where the Spirit's going to lead us because it could be really difficult. And so sometimes when I'm frustrated that the Spirit will not respond the way I think the Spirit would respond, I think the Spirit's telling me, Ryan, you're going in the different direction that I want to take you. And I could fix that problem, uh, but it's not, it wouldn't make you happy. It's not where it, it wouldn't take you where you need to go. So I want to take you in a different place. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be good. I just need you to follow me. I need you to trust me. Ask, obey, and love. Uh, you know, the Wesleys, in, in, they're in the beginning of Methodism. They were very fond of saying their interpretation of the church in their day. Uh, they, they loved the church to death. They were, they were members of the Anglican church until they died. Uh, and they, they loved it as, as priests. They loved their church. But what they said about their church was, uh, our church has the form of godliness, but not the power. Like we have the shell. We look like we know what we're doing. In other words, we have the answers, but we don't have the power. We're not living the life that we say we're going to live. And so that was their whole project. The whole project of Methodism was to say, what if we took this seriously? What if we took the Holy Spirit seriously? How might our lives change? And how might the world around us change if that actually were to happen? And so that's, that's what was happening uh, in, in the early days of Methodism and what's carried over into so many of the pockets of our world today uh, where we welcome the work of the Holy Spirit. And so much of it just comes back to time uh, and, and being willing to, to risk and put ourselves out there and spend the time that it takes uh, to get to know the work of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit. So uh, hopefully that'll be something that, uh, that we all get to experience in a new and fresh way during this season of Pentecost. I want to leave you with a prayer uh, of uh, a ninth century hymn to the Holy Spirit called the Vinnie Creator. And at the very last stanza, uh, translated in English, sounds something like this. And I, I love this prayer. I always try to remember it, keep it close during this season. Uh, and the prayer goes this way. Come, Holy Spirit, Creator blessed, and in our souls take up your rest. Come with your grace and your heavenly aid to fill the hearts which you have made. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.